Welcome to Megaminds, the podcast that unlocks the secrets needed to scale your business from seven figures per year to seven figures per month and beyond. On the show, we pick the brains of leading business owners, marketing geniuses, growth experts, and serial entrepreneurs, tapping into their minds to uncover the true formula for e-commerce success. Now enjoy the episode and don't forget to subscribe. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Megaminds. I'm your host, Evan Bryce, and today I have the pleasure of being joined by Edgar Blazona. Edgar is over in San Francisco on a lovely Friday afternoon, and Edgar's story is quite a fascinating one. He's been involved heavily in the direct-to-consumer world, uh, making the transition from a high school dropout to building an eight-figure company, which he has just made an exit on within the last two weeks. So we're going to dive deep into what that experience was like for him. As the founder of Benchmade Modern and now looking for his next entrepreneurial venture, Edgar is what you would typically call a serial entrepreneur. He's had multiple businesses and is always looking for that new idea to disrupt the landscape. Outside of the direct-to-consumer world, Edgar is passionate about skiing, likes teaching his kids skateboarding tricks, and has just returned from Burning Man. What number year was it in a row, Edgar? It's number 23. It's not quite in a row. I, I think it's 23 out of 25 years, something like that. It's, um, it's been a long, long time. Wow. Still certainly impressive. Well, Edgar, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to this. So, Edgar, before we jump into the nitty-gritty of the e-commerce world, you are a serial entrepreneur, as I mentioned. Did you want to just give our listeners a quick backstory as to how you got to where you are today? how you ended up being in a position to sell an eight-figure business and disrupt the market as you've done. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, I started out, um, I started my first furniture business, uh, believe it or not, out of high school. Um, and I dropped out of high school actually to pursue, um, you know, furniture full-time. I, I had a, a small apartment and I, I needed some furniture and I taught myself how to weld and, and make my own stuff. You know, this is back in the days way before, you know, YouTube or anything like that. And so I got this welder and I'm like, you know, trying to trying to weld something together. Hope I don't kill myself. You know, I hope this works. I don't even have any clue as to how to do this, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, I taught myself to weld and made some furniture and then ended up selling it in a gallery and and, um, you know, made made some cash. And it was like, oh, my God, this is golden. You know, it was like a lot of cash back then. And and um, and that kind of set me on to a to a path. And, you know, I dropped out of high school and and, um, you know, then later on, got a job at a pottery barn, a you know, a huge retailer here in the U.S. And I and I, you know, worked my way through there and, and kind of like that was my college. That was my furniture college. And I always knew that I was going to go back to running a business. And I literally shut my business down to go to work for them so I could see how others did it. You know, I could get my eyes again, pre YouTube and pre, you know, video within factories and all that. Like I'd never seen what a factory looked like or what, you know, what it took to, to do that at scale. And, and, uh, you know, pottery barn and then, you know, did some work for Target and Walmart and the big box guys. And then I started a brand called True Modern. And, and this, is, um, this was a, a wholesale business and really became my start to a direct-to-consumer business. You know, I was, um, we sold wholesale to a bunch of other um, small retailers across the country. 
And, you know, another one of my competitors, a company called Blue Dot, which I love this company. This Blue Dot makes the best stuff. It's amazing and well-designed and all that. But they started selling on their own site direct to the consumer as well as being a wholesaler. And somehow they, you know, kind of made that okay with their retailers. And, you know, that kind of started this, the thought of, hey, I could do it myself. And, you know, then companies like Casper came along, you know, the mattress um, mm -hmm. direct to consumer and, and then another, um, you know, Dollar Shave Club and, and those kind of guys started to come around. I thought, man, if I could parlay my true modern business into a new purely direct to consumer business, how would I do that? You know, what would I do? How would I raise money? Could I raise money? You know? In the Bay Area, it's a gold mine, right? Right now, like a gold rush, I should say. Like, you know, there's lots of money to be had, but no one's investing in retail, right? No one's really investing in direct consumer, at least then, you know, eight, 10 years, eight years ago. Um, and that kind of was like my start, you know, True Modern really kind of started my whole journey into, you know, what has later become, you know, that company that, that you mentioned, Benchmade Modern. Uh, the one that I sold and, and uh, you know, and, and learned a lot. Mm. I want to dive into particularly Benchmade Modern and how you managed to take a high-end consumer product in the thousands of dollars that requires customization and make that a short turnaround direct-to-consumer experience. However, before we go into that, let's take a step back. What are you seeing as the trends in the e-commerce and DTC landscape these days? What's working, what's not, and where are you focusing your attention as you look towards your next product or next business? Well, I will um, sadly burst people's bubbles right here and now. Um, Direct-to-consumer isn't working, frankly. It's not working. It's a business model that's not working as it is. Um, Direct-to-consumer really means directly from the factory to the consumer, right? Meaning you have to own the factory you know, you have to own the manufacturing and get it to the consumer. The direct to consumer that a lot of people are exploring these days and businesses they're building is really just the wholesale retail model, right? It's what Pottery Barn's been doing for 30 years, right? It's what, you know, most big box retailers do, right? And, and so I think when you really think about direct to consumer, consumer, you think about native first brands, right? But the, or digitally native first brands, I should say. And so, you know, what's working, right? Well, digitally native brands are struggling because marketing costs are so incredibly high right now. And so there's a ton of, you know, COVID brought a bunch of direct -to consumers to the market, you know, digitally native brands to the market. And, and um, you know, it flooded the market. It also in increased the cost of, of um, advertising. You know, advertising costs have doubled from this year to last year. You know, Facebook made some changes, Apple made some changes, and things skyrocketed. And so we need to look at different ways to make, you know, a digitally native brand work because it's a great avenue to start a business, but it's not a great avenue to finish that business. So where do you see the momentum moving toward then if you think that that traditional model is no longer working? Yeah, I don't think the traditional retail model is working, nor do I think the quote unquote traditional model of direct to consumer is working. 
What I do think is working is omni-channel. And when I speak to omni-channel, I'm talking about a direct-to-consumer model. Let's, let's call it, whether it's from the factory or a more of a wholesale model, but digitally native to get going, but then you have to drop into store experiences, possibly some wholesale, you know, somehow you have to kind of, kind of get your brand out there through other means. And, and those other means kind of mean going back to, to basics and, and, you know, whether that's a 10,000 square foot store, I don't believe in that, especially for furniture, right? I don't believe in this 10,000 square foot model. I do believe in a 3,000 square foot model, right? Supported with say, you know, a online component, right? Um, a little bit what I was building when I very first started Benchmade, which was a, what I called a hybrid store. And that was kind of before omni-channel, omni-retailing kind of became a buzzword. But it was this, it was this moment of like, you know, the retail environment was really just a place for swatches and information and, and no real transactions necessarily were going to take place there. That could all take place at home, you know, on the customer's own time when they wanted to. But really having that supporting angle of, you know, uh, the advertising that a regular, say, brick and mortar store would bring to the table. Mm. So considering that you had that, brick and mortar store, even if it was only a small one to give them a taste, is that how you managed to bridge the gap of that high-end product? Were they able to touch and feel and sit on the demo models or was that more of something that would be online later down the track? Yeah, yeah, we did do that, right? They could sit on it, they could feel it, they could, that was a supporting role to it. I think when you, when you speak to, you know, what a higher end brand can do, right on an in an online environment. I mean, there's, there's tons, you know, one of the things we did at Benchmade was, you know, we had a big giant badass box of swatches to send you, right? There was no like, you know, pick five colors and, you know, pick seven colors. No, it was like pick a hundred colors and we'll send you a box. In fact, don't even pick the colors, just hit send and we'll send you an entire box. We'll send them second day air. You know, I, I made a big deal about being first one in the door, right? I did not want, you know, the customer shopping around from site to site, clicking, you know, and, and ordering our swatches. And then we come third or fourth or anything like that. It's like, no, no, we mean business. We are the biggest badass company that you're going to deal with here. And we're professional and we're quality and all that. And it starts with that first click of I want swatches. With that price point, you do need to build a lot of trust. And through Benchmade Modern, you did that by having the best customer service. So yes. things like 100-day return policies, 15-day no-questions-asked policies, seeing those swatches that you mentioned. So how did you approach customer service from a broader perspective yeah. considering the price of your product? Interesting interesting question as well. You know, the, 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 thing, the things that you just mentioned were table stakes. Right. My, when I say table stakes, it's like every company should have that if you're selling online. What we did differently was we had people answering the phones. We had people answering the phones that actually cared. We had people that answered the phones that cared more about the customer than what that did to the to company. Right. And I would talk about that quite a bit. Right. Be a customer advocate. When you're on the phone with them, be a customer advocate. Now, that doesn't mean just 
oh, you don't like the color here, free sofa, here, another free sofa, whatever. It means that you need to be empathetic to what the customer is going through, went through, you know, whatever the situation, whatever the situation brings, right? And if you can find that, that, that very fine line between helping the customer yet still doing, you know, a good job for the company, you can win. And that's where I think we got a lot of credit for our customer service. Now, you know, step back a bit, right? It's not just customer service. We back that up with quality, right? And, and I put these incredible materials in the product because I would talk a lot about what's under the hood, right? Like, mm -hmm. can you look under the hood and see some good stuff, right? And when you can see good stuff, you know, that's, that's what's going to make the product last forever. Why in the world are we, you know, cheapening out the product for $50 to save $50? Now, granted, $50 build, you know, a 50 here, 50 there, 50 there. That's a lot of margin to be had. But at the same time, to return a $5,000 sofa because of, you know, shorting the customer 50 bucks with shitty foam. I mean, why would you do that? Right. And so these are kind of these things that I constantly, you know, put into, into practice and reminded my team, you know, that this is how we want to do it. A lot of smart people in the industry would say that a good quality product does half of the marketing for you. It can take months or years usually to build up that positive reputation, but it can take minutes to take it away. So I think you're I, bang on, bang on the money with that focus. I totally agree. And, you know, case in point, you know, um, uh, New York times wire cutter reached out and they said, we want to review your sofa. And I'm like, okay, you know, and at this point in time, we were making custom by the inch sofas by the inch in as little as 24 hours. So New York times calls and says, we've got a writer in LA Los Angeles, where, you know, they want this sofa and they want to review it. And, and I said, okay, great. Where should we deliver it tomorrow? Right. Tomorrow. And, you know, we ran that sofa through our line. Now, look, we didn't, you know, it wasn't like I secretly ran it down the line. We knew that this was going to, to go to a review site, you know, but, but we didn't do anything special. We didn't bring in new materials or anything like that. We made the sofa. We made sure it was tailored nice, but we made the sofa. That sofa was reviewed, and we won best online sofa. And we won that award two years in a row for the New York Times wire cutter, right? That drove a ton of business. And we were able to do that because I was confident with our product, you know, and you know, it's funny, we go, you go on my, on my Twitter, Edgar Blazona Twitter account, right? And pinned at the very top, it's a call out, like an old school battle. Hey, sofa manufacturers, you send your best shit and I'll send my best shit to, to some writer and whoever wins will be crowned sofa king by the other, right? I love that. That's it. That's great. Right. Old school style, right? I know all those dudes follow me. They're on my account. Not a single person has taken me up on that on that offer, you know, and I would assume that I would win, but you never know. But I have the confidence in my product because I know I have the best stuff in it to win. Mm. So clearly you identified that there was a gap in the landscape. 
and you managed to create that short turnaround delivery. How was the manufacturing process there to find someone who could do that for you? And how come no one else had found it before? Well, there wasn't anyone to do it for me. So I had to build my own factory, right? And I started, you know, I, look, I, I, when I had that company that I mentioned, True Modern, and I thought, okay, I'm going to build a direct consumer business. I didn't want to piss off my wholesalers, right? So, so I decided I'm going to build a secondary brand. I also thought I'm going to raise money, right? I'm going to, I'm in this gold rush. I'm going to raise some capital, right? I'm going to try to raise capital for a direct consumer business. I went to all these local Barry investors. They laughed at me. They were like, exactly the question you just asked. If restoration hardware takes six months, how could you build a sofa in less than 24 hours? <laughs> you know what I said? I said, I just put it in the front of the line. <laughs> That's it, right? Like it doesn't take six months to make a sofa. If you, if you have the materials, right? If you actually care enough, this is the flaw. This is the disruption that I made in this industry, which is, it's the silliest thing, right? Outsider looking in, you're going to laugh. I actually had the fabric. I didn't actually try to sell a sofa that I didn't have the materials for. That's why the sofa industry is kind of backwards in their whole process, right? They, oh, you want a red sofa? Well, sure. Let me take your money. We'll get it to you. Our lead time is six weeks. And then the, the manufacturer calls the, the fabric supplier and, and says, hey, do you have red? And the fabric supplier says, no, we're out of that for six months. And then that's how that whole thing starts. And so I just made sure I had all the materials. And then I built a factory. And then I took the orders that were in as little as 24 hours. And I put them to the front of the line because it only takes eight hours to make a sofa really well. Correct me if I'm wrong. You mentioned fundraising. Um, Benchmade Modern was not bootstrapped. You did go through a fundraising round. Can you walk yes, us through I, how, how that all worked for you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was I like bootstrapped. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a laugh because I was bootstrapped in the beginning, right? I used my true modern sales and all that. I had to build a factory first before I could, you know, uh, actually raise money. The funny part, though, is... I didn't know how to raise money, right? Yeah, I'm surrounded by all these VCs, but who's gonna who's gonna give a guy money to build a you know sofa? At that time, like the only examples that we had was Dollar Shave Club and Casper, and you know everyone else was you know either just starting or failing or no one had ever heard of them. So I studied. There was this guy Jason Calacanis. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He he runs This Week in Startups. It's a it's a podcast. It's pretty huge. He, he has this huge investment wing. He's, you know, first round Uber, first round, you know, every big startup you can name here, you know, he was first round in it and all that. He talks about in this podcast about how to raise money. I listened to three years back to back to back to back podcasts of his, and I would take notes from him talking about how to get money from investors. And I knew my plan was I was going to use all his words against him and make him my first investor, period. So I took these notes and I, and I followed them, like get around the investor, right? Put yourself in a place to be around the investor. Give before you get. Find a way to give that investor something 
without asking for money. You know, that, that age old thing, ask for money, get advice, ask for advice, get money, right? That's so true here in the Bay area. So, you know, I knew he talked about this fancy club that he belonged to. So I got a membership at the fancy club, right? And I sat there like, I know it sounds a little bit like I was stalking this guy, but I was, I was a little bit right. I was, but I was using what he does for a living as a podcast guy, as well as an investor. And I was using that to make him my first investor. So I had it all queued up. You know, he throws these big giant conferences. And I noticed that he had all this rental furniture for all these, you know, all the guys, you know, you know, uh, Uber founder and box founder and all these big names that would be up on the stage and they'd be sending in this rental furniture. I thought if I could replace my stuff with that rental stuff, if I could give it to him for free, I had this email all queued up, ready to go. I would sit next to him. He'd be in this booth like, you know, two, three days a week. And I would see him there. And some guy came up to me and said, Hey man, are you Jason Calacanis? You look just like him. I said, no, but uh, he's sitting over there and he said, oh, you look just like him. And I was like, ah, that's my move right now. So I sent him this note. I said, hey, I'm sitting at a table, you know, at our club, right? Our club, a couple of feet from you. You know, one of your guys came walking up and asked if that was you, you know, I said, no, I sent him to your table. And then I thought, hey, you know, I should probably make the sofas for your show. And he was like, yeah, get in touch, right? And that started this relationship. And I traded him and, and sure enough, he became my investor, my first investor. And my second investor actually was the owner of the club. And that was my first round. And, and it, it worked out really well. And, and um, you know, I, it helped us build a pretty big business that we queued up to sell a little bit later. I love that story. It's your classic example of social engineering and a little bit of personal guerrilla marketing. Um, <laughs> it, it sounds like there was a lot of unique things you did but I want to flip the script a little bit and hear about some of the challenges that you faced along the way. Cause obviously it's not yeah. always rosy as you're growing a no. business, especially to eight figures. So looking back now, what are some of the biggest hurdles that you faced and how'd you overcome them? Oh my gosh. There's so many. Okay. First, a word of advice to all of you, you know, want to be startup founders or startup founders, the long game is to play the highs and low evenly because there's so many highs, right? Oh my God, we're going to be bazillionaires. We're so successful. And the same exact day, your phone gets turned off because you don't have enough money to pay. And or later on that day, you're going out of business. And then the next day, it cycle starts again. And so if you can learn to ride that. And, and so after learning to ride that for a while, we had some amazing hurdles, right? Um, we got in, in, you know, we decided we had kind of outgrown our own manufacturing and we thought, okay, I know some guys from back in my day, you know, we, we, that, that could help us manufacture. And we got into this relationship and what we didn't know is, is they were kind of falling out. They were going out of business. So we were their savior, right? But it didn't work because our business wasn't consistent enough to be their savior. And we ended up in this big fight and all that, and, you know, okay, forget it. I'm out of here and I'm out of here. Well, that left us with no factory and we had orders. And so what did we do? We went home to our factory manager's house, his house, like in suburbia. Mm -hmm. And we set up a outdoor canopy upholstery facility in his backyard, 
you know, in on his patio and the sewers brought sewing machines home to their houses. And we started making sofas for the public in his backyard, right? To keep the lights on till we had enough time to go out and build a factory, another factory, get a lease and all that. You know, that was just one of the hurdles. And, you know, can you imagine the delivery trucks? I mean, semi trucks pulling up to his driveway to pick up the customer orders. You know, we'd have to couldn't get a forklift there. We'd have to hand load him into the truck and all that. I mean, it was it was an amazing time and, and it was an amazing hurdle at the time. We just thought, man, we were so broken. But it's one of those things that actually makes you stronger. And, and you know, here we are today to talk about it, which is which makes it all the better. It certainly paints a strong picture in my mind. So yeah, that's impressive that you're able to, to keep that going. But it just comes back to what you were saying about customer service and making that the top focus. Above all, it was about getting that product to your customer. Totally. You know, another, another big hurdle, funny story, you know, COVID happened, right? I mean, talk about a, a deal breaker. COVID happens mm. and, and, you know, everything shuts down. So what do we do? We immediately, well, we got fabric. How do we make masks, Right. This is early on. No one knew how to make masks yet. So we're like trying to figure out how to make masks or Googling things. You know, we're putting uh, pipe cleaners in the nose. We're using women's hair ties for straps in the back. You know, what can we do to like make these masks, you know, and the, the city comes in and they say, they say, you know, what are we supposed to be closed? You know, what are you guys doing in here? You know, and we're like, uh, uh, you know, we had to make sofas, right? Because we had to make sofas because our employees needed to get paid. And I couldn't pay the employees unless we made sofas. So we said, well, we're making masks and sofas, right? You know, we're trying to save the world, but we're also saving us. You're supposed to be closed. But since you're making masks, you know, um, you're good. Keep working. Mm. And in fact, we'll take 100 masks for the city of uh, where were we? Ontario, right? The city of Ontario came back and ordered 100 masks from us. So it was quite the thing. And, you know, that later on, you know, turned into supply chain trouble. You know, COVID brought supply chain issues, right? And everyone had issues. And there was a foam shortage. And what did we do? We went to our foam supplier with cash and tequila. And we said, we want to buy as much foam as we possibly can out the back door, like, I don't care. Like, give us whatever you can. I short your other customer. I don't know, but I have cash and I have tequila and that's what I'm offering. And sure enough, we were able to buy like three containers full of, of foam to store so that we could get through those hurdles. And I think it's those things that, that really, you know, it's that, it's that sort of hurdle that, you know, that either makes you or breaks you, frankly. I love that. And I think that you've mentioned three or four examples now of where you're just grinding and getting it done, not focusing on perfection, but just keeping the ball rolling. And I think that's a great mindset to have. It's just that results at all costs, delivery at all, at all costs. And it seems that yeah. that's something that you've adapted. But as you mentioned, with all of the highs and lows, as you do adapt that mindset to stay flat and to stay consistent is really important. So I might tangent this a little bit to speak about that area because we do like to dive into learning and personal development and that kind of thing on the show. So how did you ensure that despite all of the ups and downs, you remained front of mind and ready to, to keep growing the business with that correct mindset? 
Yeah. Um, how did I do that? Gosh, I wish I had a fancy, you know, way. I wish I had, you know, um, meditation or something like that. I was getting my ass kicked, you know, honestly. And I, my, my family wasn't very happy with me and my general mentality wasn't, you know, I'm a pretty happy dude, right? I'm a pretty like happy go lucky generally. And I'm generally pretty lucky, right? Like I, you know, I'm up, you know, most of the time. A glass is half full, right? You know, and I, I learned it, man, I was like, I was getting beat, you know, and I was, and I was really struggling. And it was more out of just a, a need to, to survive. And I quickly kind of figured out what this spike was doing. It reminded me, I, I quit drinking, I don't know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, something like that. And I remember that the drinking was, was so fun. Oh my God. And then, and then the next day sucked, you know, and, and then I'd go on Saturday night. So fun. And, and I realized that it was a spike, right? This constant wave of up and down and up and down. And I started to equate the two together, right? The, mm -hmm. the, 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 the feeling of, you know, of taking investment in and, you know, you got your investors, they're like, they're, they're nice until they're not, you know, and then they're pounding on you and, and that's, that's a lot of weight. And so I really quickly learned that I had to figure out how to manage that and not break everyone around me with my own insecurities, right? And as soon as I figured out how to kind of ride that wave a little better, you know, I, I realized that the people around me, you know, were happier and everything was happening. Aha, like this is a moment, right? This is, this is what I need to strive for. And, you know, my employees were better. I was better. I mean, it just, this whole thing kind of changed. And, you know, I wasn't casting this negativity or this, like, we're going to be bazillionaires and then letting everyone down tomorrow, you know? And so it really helped, I think, everyone around me. Do you have any specific examples as to how you implemented that leadership and tried to keep that message across the team? Because obviously, the, if you're going through ups and downs, it's important that everyone else remains positive and you know, empowered to do their best. So how did you exactly go about doing yeah. that? I don't think it's, it's an ups and downs. It's not like... I'm having a divorce at home and then my, during the day I'm acting like nothing's wrong. Right. It's not that same kind of strategy. It's, it's a mindset change, right? When you realize today is great and then maybe tomorrow sucks, but the next day it was great. And then the next day sucked. And then the next day was great. When you see that you, you realize like, wow, today doesn't have to be so bad. Because I know tomorrow is going to be good. So how do I implement that? You don't have to implement that, right? Everyone is looking to you as the leader to lead, right? Everyone can see right through the fake face of I'm having a divorce at home, but here I am being rosy at work, right? If, if I change my mindset to be more even, even keel, right, it comes from me. Like, it's not a lie. It's not a facade. It's not anything. It's not like, you know, we're going to go out of business tomorrow and I'm projecting that we're just fine. No, you know, 
times are rough and, but you know, tomorrow will be great. And, you know, we're fine. Everybody that casting of that sort of energy, I think gets picked up by the people around you. And yeah, maybe they don't know that we ran out of money or we have a month to go, but, but head down and keep at it. And if you kind of keep that momentum up, good things happen. Good things happen to people who try, you know, we make our own luck, so to speak. It seems like from what you've just described, it was very much about being transparent and authentic as to who who you are, who you were at the time, what you were going through, and not really trying to put on that persona, put on that mask, as you mentioned. Yeah, one way or another, right? It's not all smiles and then all bad. It's like, yeah, yesterday sucked. I got a really bad call from the investor, but it wasn't that bad. It's fine. We'll get through it, you know. Tomorrow's going to be great. We sold a bunch of sofas today. That's going to be great. You know, it's it's those it's that momentum that I think, you know, it, an interesting thing on that, though, is the factory, the, the factory employees, they're on a totally different game, right? It's about making 50 cents more an hour. So my like kumbaya love, right, like did not go over so well in the beginning of my factory experience. I had to learn how to manage the factory a little bit differently. Because literally, they don't want kumbaya. They want 50 cents more an hour, right? That's, mm. you know, and like we, I, I call it a factory. It was a workshop. You know, it wasn't that big at the time. And, and you know, we didn't underpay our employees. I mean, they, they were paid, you know, top of the, of the level of they were at. But they just wanted 50 cents, you know, and they didn't want pizza on Fridays, you know, they don't care about all that. So I had to kind of change my management skills to, to, to work with, with them. It's, it's a very different environment. Mm. As, as you were running this team, you know, you're balancing, managing a team, you're balancing, managing a business and then everything going on in your personal life outside of work. So how did you manage your time to ensure that you were focusing on the right things, whether that's inside or outside of work? Wow. Okay. Um, that's a question. I don't know. I mean, how do you do that? How do you manage your time? I, I'm more of a creative guy, right? So I'm not a spreadsheet dude. I, you know, I'm like forced to use the calendar. You know, I, you know, it, it, th this is bigger business, right? You got to be on time. You got to, you know, all of those things. But I, I don't, I don't know that I did a great job, right? Because you're just juggling everything all the time. Like, I don't have any wisdom on that. I probably didn't do a very good job of that. And and although it kind of sucks to say that, but it also kind of works to my advantage. Like, I'm not the best at, you know, managing my time or spreadsheets or this. I'm a creator, right? I'm 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 the most creative guy in the room. And while you might be, you know, five minutes early to every meeting or you might manage your time a little bit better both here and there, I'm not, but I will out create you. I will out, you know, um I will outdo you in a creative setting all day long. Um but but as far as all that management stuff goes, I mean I I'm kind of all over the place. You know, I but I have a very guided vision. And so if I stick to that long ball game, all the other stuff will just kind of fall in place. It's so fascinating to hear the different perspectives of various business owners. Some people try to have a hard line between you know, work and play, divide their life into different sections. Some people like yourself are very much, you know, focus on your strength, go with the flow to an extent. 
So it, it shows that, you know, just be true to yourself and play to those strengths. And then the rest kind of does fall into place if you put in the time and the effort. And, and if you surround yourself with, with people who can pick up your weaknesses, right? I, I've always been really good about that. You know, how do I, how do I find people who can help me? How do I find people that can dot my I's and cross my T's? You know, I'm kind of playing this up a little bit. I'm not as, you know, cavalier maverick, you know, as that, but, but, but I, I don't do great right in those scenarios. I don't, you know, have a perfect roadmap that I'm following, but I definitely have an eye on the prize and I'm definitely, you know, have a way to get there. It might be a little bit different than you paper writers, you know, but I'll get there. I'll show you. And I'll probably beat you there in the first place. Mm. No, I think it's great. I think it's a, I appreciate the vulnerability and the honesty. It's a very refreshing perspective. And a lot of people don't want to hear like that you have to do this and this and this and this and this, if you want to succeed in business. And you're showing that yeah. it's kind of just about like what you said, surround yourself with the right people, focus on what you're good at and the, the rest does fall into place. I love that. You, you know, you know what I, what I think, I think that, you know, I, I think you're totally right. And I, and I think one of the things that I try to do, that's maybe a little different than, than focusing on step A to B to C. Now, some of the things you have to do in order and all that, what I find that really works for me is what are the things that I can put in play that are like the wow factor for people, right? Mm -hmm. They will help me piggyback to the next thing, right? So instead of, you know, that A, B, C, D, following it, one, two, three, you know, all that is how do I find this like wow moment that will elevate me so I didn't have to do that one, two, three stuff, you know? Uh, for us, it was about building a robot, right? I built this robotic sofa display system, right? You can find it on YouTube. You, if you search for Benchmade Modern Robot YouTube, you'll find this sofa display system that I built. And that helped me get stories. It wasn't a gimmick, but it helped me get into the press is view, right? It helped me piggyback the next to the next thing to the next thing so that I didn't get caught up in that day-to-day -day one, two, three stuff. And I think it's a little bit of that. It's a little bit of luck. I don't outwork everybody. I don't like, I'm, I don't believe in, you know, waking up and working till you sleep. Like I, I think that crushes you. Um, but I think that a little bit of ingenuity along the way and a little bit of creativeness, um, you know, you can shine and, and, and you can shine bright. Love that. Um, before we move into the rapid fire questions, which I love to end every episode and every conversation with, I want to ask yeah, no fundamentally problem. if you have a approach to learning or a certain philosophy, because as a founder, a multiple time business founder, serial entrepreneur, you do need to be constantly finding these new trends, be looking into untapped markets. So how do you approach that is it is it sit down and read this book and listen to this podcast is it go out and talk to people what what does it look like for edgar yeah it's eyes wide open right you can't be so cocky to think you know everything i don't know everything right you know i i i think about the industry that i tried to disrupt the furniture industry this is a bunch of old dudes old archaic dudes right sitting behind their giant mahogany desk with papers everywhere a fax machine and all that it wasn't that long ago when you couldn't actually email an order in right you had to fax an order in i mean just archaic old dudes 
I don't want to be one of those dudes ever, right? I'm not that dude today. I'm not going to let TikTok, you know, come along and be the greatest thing to sell your stuff on. And I was like, I don't understand it. You know, like all of those things. Now, I don't understand TikTok, right? I don't get it, right? It's probably not the platform for me, but my eyes are open, right? And, and that's how I think it's most important. I think, I think I'm constantly looking at the world through the lens of a customer, right? And saying, you know, how would I do this better? Like, wow, could I use that? A case of point, right? I was on this site the other day and they were, they were selling, it's a reservation site. They were selling premier spots in the restaurant at a particular time. So if you want a seven o'clock slot at that restaurant, you could pay $50. You want an extra, you want an eight o'clock slot, you like guaranteed, you want an eight o'clock slot, you pay $100. And I thought, that's genius. Like how many times have I wanted to go to a restaurant like on a date or, you know, date night with my wife and I couldn't get an eight o'clock slot you know, to be able to make my 10 o'clock movie or my, the club I was going to go to, I had to go at six o'clock and then find time. So, so my thought was like, holy, how do I, how do I use that in the sofa business? Right. How do I, how do I maneuver that, that mentality, that thought? And, you know, I came up with a way, right. And so I think that there's ways to keep your eyes very wide, right. Talk to as many people. Um, but for me, it's really more about, you know, taking other businesses and then translating them into mine. How could I, how could I use this for my business? Would this make my customer happy and, and really make my customer into a brand advocate. And I, 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 I think about that all the time. And, and, and so I guess that's really how I do it. I don't read books much. I, I do watch the news. It kind of bogs me down. COVID kind of gave me a slump. I had to, I had to go out and, and, you know, go back to my graffiti roots and my architecture roots and really start studying architecture and graffiti again to get inspired to do sofas again. You know, it's those things that kind of keep me going and, and um, keep me focused and, and keep me creative. So Edgar, what's next for you? You've just sold Benchmade Modern. We're on to our next big idea. What's on the cards? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I should clarify, I sold Benchmade three years ago. I've just ended my stint of, of you know, contractual and, and, and whatnot. And, and so now I'm on to the next thing. Um, you know, I don't necessarily know. I got a couple ideas. I can't necessarily share them. Um, but, you know, rest assured, it will probably be somewhere around direct-to-consumer. Um, you know, it will probably be a product uh, idea. Uh, I can't imagine it's not going to be furniture. Like, you know, I've been doing furniture all my life. Like I'm going to go into the software business. Eh, I don't think so. <laughs> you know, so I think that, um, you know, I think you can expect something from me, um, you know, within a year or so. Or so and, and um, you know, I, I, I got some ideas. Well, I look forward to following along the journey and seeing what comes next for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So as we, as I alluded to earlier, we usually finish off all of our conversations with a few rapid fire questions, just picking your brain on the spot. So keep it to one word or one sentence, whatever works for you. You ready to dive into oh, it? Oh, that's hard. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. I got to be honest, right? You, 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 you ready for brutally honest? <laughs> uh, I'm, that's what I'm looking for. <laughs> All right, let's hear it. Okay, if you could go back in time to before you started Benchmade Modern and had a conversation with yourself, what's the one piece of advice that you would give yourself? Oh my God, I totally know. Be more organized with all of the business paperwork in preparation to sell the business later. Right. You mentioned that you're not much of a reader or a course doer. <laughs> But taker. do you have yeah. course or a course taker? Do you have a most valuable resource over the years that you've looked to for inspiration or guidance? Yes, uh, but not as a person. Um, architecture, uh, architecture um, typically guides me in uh, inspiring me to to do what's next. You know, I do make phone calls, I do call people, but architecture is kind of the the thing that keeps me. Um, going. I'm going to break my own rule here and follow up, but what exactly is it about architecture that helps inspire you for other areas of business and life? It is a creative uh, energy thing, right? It's just, it's like, it makes me like, it's almost like a competition. Like, that's cool. That's so cool. I want to do something cool. <laughs> right. And so it gives me that energy to um, to be better. Architecture is forever. You know, Steve Jobs was like, you know, like I, the iPod, iPhone, I'll be remembered for my architecture. And so that's why he's poured so much money into his campuses and all that, because those buildings will live will live there forever. The iPod is not. Mm. What do you think is the most underrated part of e-commerce marketing at the moment? or direct to consumer marketing? Uh, direct to TV. I don't know what that's necessarily, I don't remember what that's called, but uh, underrated, um, you know, uh, commercials on cable TV. Uh, you can market to specific markets, um, specific areas, um, and they've come to your site and you can follow them from their TV to your site and back and forth. That's pretty clever. Interesting. Haven't heard that one before. All right. And last but not least, what's the one piece of advice that you would give to entrepreneurs looking to grow their business? Do you have any final words of wisdom? Looking to grow their business? Well, I think it goes back to, you know, when asking for raising money, you know, ask for help, get money, ask for money, get help. Um, but I think the biggest thing is that is that roller coaster ride. You know, we talked about it at length, you know, find that stability, find the middle ground in that because it's a long haul, right? I've been building furniture for 30 years, right? I, you know, Benchmade took me eight years to make that happen. It didn't happen overnight. You know, Zuckerberg didn't make Facebook overnight. It might seem like that, but it didn't happen like that. You know, all these entrepreneurs, you know, did it and it takes a long time. You hear about a few successes that skyrocketed and you think I could do that. It's not like that, man. It's, it's a long battle. And so if you can kind of mellow out and keep it cool for that battle, because it's going to be a while, uh, you, you got a much better chance of winning. So be consistent, play the long game. Long ball, long ball, play the long ball. <laughs> that's actually, you know what? That's when you say that, that's, that should be the motto 
of my life and probably your life, right? Like, let's just play the long ball, like for everything. We would be so much more successful if we could keep that in our head. That's let's my advice. On, play the long ball for sure. Let's, let's put it on a t-shirt. Get, get matching t-shirts <laughs> yeah, <totally>. for it. <laughs> yeah, All right. I want it. Well, Edgar, it's been amazing chatting to you, hearing about your story, your businesses and your approach to life. So if someone wants to follow up with anything that you've said, get in contact, where should they go? They can find me at Edgar Blazona at Twitter or Edgar Blazona on LinkedIn, or frankly, just a simple Google search for my name. And you'll find all kinds of places that will either find me or direct me or, or whatever, but I'm definitely uh, out all over there. Amazing. Well, to all of our listeners, hope you enjoyed the chat today with Edgar. Make sure to hit the subscribe and notify button so that you get all of the episodes delivered straight to you and send this to someone who you think could really benefit from hearing what Edgar has said, particularly his philosophy that is really a standout to many of the other conversations we've had on the show. So thanks, Edgar. Appreciate your time and enjoy your weekend over in sunny San Francisco. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right, mate. All the best. Thanks for tuning into the Megaminds podcast. If you're looking to scale your own e-commerce business, get in touch for a free strategy session.